Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces podcast. My name is Scroobius Pip. Thank you very much for tuning in. And guess what? This is our 50th episode. That's a massive deal. Um, thank you very much for continuing to tune in and support and get us in the top 10 in the iTunes chart, in the ACAST chart, in all podcast charts available, basically. Um, yeah, genuinely means the world. And it's absolutely... Uh, a lovely this has been our first 50 we plan to do a hell of a lot more so um yeah we're looking to keep that up so thank you for tuning in and supporting for the 50th obviously we had to have a very special guest and i couldn't think of anyone more special than mr john kennedy of xfm now many of you who follow uh, my uh, have followed my career will know that me and dan lissac credit him very much for giving us a career and he's helped us continually continually along our career we're going to talk about all that we're going to talk about how he gave us our first ever play and plucked us from obscurity um but first of all i should mention speechdevelopmentrecords.com which is my record label which john has also supported wonderfully basically because there's good music coming out of it we've just released the b dolan album kill the wolf i've got some news for you you you, you vinyl guys there's been a delay on the vinyl um but it's this beautiful blue vinyl it's stunning uh, there's been a delay because we wanted to get it perfect um it's meant to be coming in on august 4th so we'll be getting mailing that out as soon as humanly possible so yeah that's next week hopefully it'll be with you very soon but we've also got the war and peace album we've got the jack and brown album we've got the sage francis album we've got at home with polar bear we've got loads of good stuff at speech development records go check us out you can also buy vests t-shirts um of me Obviously, there's the Secret Team 3W ones, but we'll talk about that in the secret little advert that comes shortly. Um, yeah, come check us out and support. It's a good way to support the label. We've got barbecue aprons. It's, it's Surely it's barbecue season now. The sun has been kind of consistent. There's been a bit of rain, but everyone loves a rainbow, right? So that's cool. Um, yeah, speechofrelementrecords.com. Support the podcast. Support us. Check us out. Um I want to tell you as well about my um, film club is 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 this week, in fact. I'm trying to think. Obviously, I've recorded these in advance. Yeah, so this will be going out on... When's this going out? On Wednesday the 29th. It's Wednesday the 29th, right? You listen to this on Wednesday the 29th. Because if you are, good news, guys. On Thursday the 30th of July, I've got my film club at the Prince Charles Cinema in London, just off Leicester Square. And we're screening Dancer in the Dark, the amazing film starring Bjork. It's going to be an emotional roller coaster. I'm not going to, I need to warn you in advance. I fully expect to be inviting you all to sit in a room with me and um, develop wet eyes. Um, so, yeah, but it's an amazing film. And the way we do the film night is I give a little intro at the start. I explain that the point of the film night is picking films that I love, but I've, I've fallen in love with on DVD because I genuinely believe the cinema experience is a completely different experience. Sitting there on the big screen, you're not looking at your phone. Even even if you don't look at your phone in your living room, you're still aware you're in your living room. Whereas in the cinema, it's all black, the sound, it's all it just overtakes you. I've seen, I mean, this year I've seen um, a Jurassic a World recently and Ant-Man and both of them were just perfect cinema films. Just so good to just sit there and lose yourself in them. Really enjoyed them. Obviously, Dancer in the Dark is very, very different from that. Um, but yeah, come along. Appreciate the support. Afterwards, we then have a Q&A where, again, it's kind of the... Um, 
a, a reaction to the dawn of the term spoiler alert. The fact is that you, at the end of the film, you're sitting in a room with a load of people who've just seen it. So we kind of just open up the floor and discuss and chat what we thought of it and what was great and what we didn't like or what it reminded us of or comparisons, all sorts of stuff. So come along and get involved. That'll be lovely. We've also just announced our September screening is going to be Leon, which is such a good film you all know this so yeah dancer in the dark this month in fact tomorrow thursday the 30th of july and then in august we got leon um at the end of the month so check that out also in august we've got my club night returning to the book club on the 29th of august so i should mention that um we've had four years now of sold out shows at the book club um or coming on for four years so that's usually appreciated something else i need to tell you we've got I mean, let's jump straight to it. It's my birthday next week. What's up? August 3rd. Again, a lot of you who have followed my career will know that since the introduction video, I've always released something on my birthday. So introduction came out on my 30th birthday in 2011. um, And I put the video up on my birthday and we shot that video for a hundred quid and it's one of the most successful things I've ever had or done. So it was an amazing birthday present. Um, and since then, like the next year I released the, the Jack and my Brown album on my birthday, I think, or no, we announced a video or put, put, put something up of the album on my birthday. Um, so that was 2012, 2013, um, or me and Dan Lissac had a new video out. Um, so that was that 2014, was it the Sage Francis re- a release, a new video? We've done... No, no, My Edinburgh Fringe Show. I released My Edinburgh Fringe Show um, on my birthday in 2014. So, yeah, it's kind of a theme. I try and release something. But this year, I'm kind of all about some secret projects I'm doing and the podcast that you're listening to now. So I thought I'd do, as on Monday, August 3rd, a special extra podcast. And I thought I'd do a bit of a special one. Um... I'm going to interview my mum and then I'm going to interview my dad and that's going to be the podcast and we're going to talk about a lot of stuff. I've kind of had to pre, pre-warn my dad because, I mean, my, I'll, 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 I'll set the scene now. My parents are separated. It's fine. Um, but there's a few things that we've never really discussed or talked about and I'm a big believer that, you know, everyone... Uh, the right thing is different for different people um, and for my parents getting a divorce was the right thing you know they're both amazing people and they're both they were both so much happier after they decided to part ways but I think there's a stigma around these things so there's I mean it's not just going to be about that we're going to talk about a lot of stuff we're going to talk about um the holiday on which I almost died as a child and how I got my stutter we're going to talk about numerous different things um but yeah I thought it'd be an interesting one to give that unusual insight um that you wouldn't normally get so it's, as said, I haven't recorded them yet, but they're going to be interesting and emotional. There's a few subjects I've flagged up that there's there's one subject in particular that I've been trying to write a song about for years, and it's never quite got right or nailed it. And I've realised now that I was using the wrong medium and the wrong art form, and the right art form for this particular subject is podcasting. So yeah, we're going to sit down and discuss some stuff. It might get a bit heavy, it might get a bit emotional and teary, but hell, we'll what a birthday's for um so yeah that's next week and then we'll obviously still have one on wednesday and so on and so forth um on to this week's podcast with john kennedy i mean i know we get a lot of different kind of listeners um but if you're a publisher or a production company or something then 
listen to this podcast and tell me that a John Kennedy book or a John Kennedy film wouldn't be the best thing ever. Um, I mean, as soon as, like, halfway through all these stories he was telling me, I was thinking, this could be an almost famous type film. This is, he's just so amazing and so inspiring and so passionate about music. And when discussing his, he was given a, a little bit of the history of XFM, I was like, again, in reality, I think John's too humble to write a John Kennedy book. But, I mean, he could write a hell of a history of XFM. Um, again, I've not asked him about these things I'm putting forward for, but yeah, I mean, all I'd say is if you're a publisher or an agent or whatever, I'd start knocking on John, John Kennedy's door because, I mean, even after the podcast, we just as I was packing away, he was telling me more and more stories of the early days of XFM because people forget that XFM started out as essentially a part or he'll tell you in this essentially a private station it had very humble beginnings and has just grown and grown and john kennedy's been there from the start and yeah i've got nothing but love and respect for for this guy so when when looking at the long list of huge names we could have um tried to pull in as the 50th birthday special there was no one i wanted more than mr john kennedy So yeah, you good to go? I'm fine, yeah. Perfect. Then we've already begun, essentially. I'm here with John Kennedy. Um, Thank you very much for coming in early. And, and taking the time to chat. It's a pleasure. Pleasure to talk How to you How are you doing anytime. today? Yeah, very good. Very good. Good, good, good. Um, and you're in all the time for your show. So, yeah. is, is it, you know, this is just a nice extra treat to have you in that little bit early. To, yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm hoping so, I don't wear you out. No, well, it is interesting because tonight um, I've got, I'm talking to you. Yeah. And then I've got two, well, three interviews to do during the course of the programme. Oh, wow. Two of them, well, all of them live. Um, and yeah, it'll be interesting to see how I feel at one o'clock in the morning. I was going to say, you're going to go home and sit in silence after that and try and not converse. It's always, it's always (laughs) difficult to know what to do. No, sometimes you want to unwind, but the time, by the time you've unwound, it's like four o'clock in the morning. You think, I'm going to make no use of the day tomorrow if I go to bed now. Yeah. I've, 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 I've had ones before where I, I did a podcast, uh, with this girl, uh, Ramel, who's a, a, a refugee, um, from the, uh, Democratic Republic of Congo and we did this big long com- podcast and then I had to be interviewed about it afterwards and it was one of the best interviews I'd given because I felt that whole podcast was like doing tons of stretches to warm up I was like I was in conversation mode so you know it's, it varies if you finish the podcast and don't want to talk or if this will w- warm you up beautifully and lubricate all of your 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 thinking ch- ch- channels for the podcast late or for the interviews later on yeah I hope so I'm sure it'll be fine yeah well um I mean obviously with this Tons I want to talk to you about. Um, every time we talk, I end up t- talking about how big an influence y- you've been on my own career. Um, but we'll get to that later. Um, I wanted to start off just, you're someone who I've always felt, I, I, I don't, I can't think of anyone I've met who's got more of a passion f- for music than you. And I wanted to kind of talk about how that started and how, how important music was in your youth and your, and your upbringing. Yeah. Um, it's it's funny in a way because I don't play an instrument and yeah. I, I tried to play an instrument a few times when I was a kid, um, but was far too lazy uh, to apply myself oh, or do anything with it. Oh, what did you try and learn? Well, I had some piano lessons yep. and I kind of persuaded my mum that 
it wasn't a good idea. I don't know. I was about eight, <laughs> yeah. and the uh, the woman who was teaching me, I don't know what age she was, but as far as I was concerned, she was at least a hundred. Yeah, and minimum of, and it just didn't. It just seemed strange going around to her house, and it kind of smelt of mothballs and yeah. and stuff like that. And that's that just seemed strange. Just, and uh, you know, your mum, mum's being mums. She'll say, "Oh, it was such a shame. No, you really showed some talent." <laughs> yeah. I don't think I did. So a couple of years ago, I started uh, taking piano lessons and I did it for like a year and a half but that was weird because the person before me was like an eight-year-old and the person after me was like a six-year-old so I was always just the weirdo there as a grown-up with a beard and everyone else coming in was and again I started at the level that you would have started as as an eight-year-old so I'm sitting there trying to work through and it was quite yeah Awkward. Yeah, I bet. That sounds nice. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I took some trumpet lessons for a while Amazing. when I was in primary school as well and um, and abandoned that. Um, but I remember carrying a little rented trumpet around school yeah. that I was kind of into. But I, I never grasped the whole um, lip thing, getting it right. That, yeah, that it's whole, intense, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and, and uh, if you can't get that, then <laughs> you've got no hope That's at all. the basics. Yeah. All right, isn't it? Or the essential component to... Trumpeteering, yeah, yeah, completely. I mean, I think um, say, when I was very young, uh, probably the um, one of the biggest influences on me was my sister, who yeah. was really into music and really into the radio. And I remember that at a certain age, um, she wanted a radio for her birthday over Christmas and got a little transistor. Yeah, and she used to listen to music stations on that, and we used to listen to those together. And my dad was really into the radio, but he was into news, so he liked a combination of LBC and Radio Four. Yeah, um, and so. I, listening to the radio was something that was done in the house quite a lot. Yeah, that's great. And uh, I used to go out and help my dad um, do jobs and stuff, and, and he'd always be listening to the radio. Uh, but my sister was kind of really got into Capital, and I guess it was when Capital first started, so this is the 1970s. Yeah. And um, and it seemed really exciting, and we used to listen to that together. We used to tape the chart show on, on Radio 1 together. Amazing. Uh, at one point, we had tapes where we'd be singing along to the hits. <laughs> Because we Perfect. we didn't ha- we had like a tape recorder that was beside a radio yeah and and taping off the radio that way rather than built together amazing and yeah embarrassing that. things like that no. no I love that the 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 death of home taping is such a is 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 something that's brought up a lot when you try as an artist to discuss piracy or downloads or anything online people are like well did you never tape off the radio? It's like, well, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, an, it's, yeah. it's it, was, it was a beautiful and innocent thing there, it yeah, felt. Yeah, it seemed like that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, you know, that I graduated to continuing to do that. Once I got really bitten by the bug, you know, I was using a, a mono tape recorder to tape sessions on John Peel from, a, from a mono radio. And I, I remember having one... Uh, recording, which you know, I'm recording some session, and my mum walks in the room and says, like, oh, "Shh, I'm recording for, <laughs> recording for the right." No, that kind of thing. Really silly. Beautiful. Did you ever, um, at, at, at those young ages, um, do any of your own own, own radio shows? Because again, that's quite a common thing. If you've got the the the, the recording, yeah, paper, no, I mean, that was there. the interesting thing. I never thought of being on the radio. Then Amazing. I like listening to the music and like yeah. listening to the radio shows and and really related to the the DJs once I got to know them and the presenters. Um, but I never thought of doing radio shows myself. I just listen listen to the music and take the music and daydreamed a bit about being in a band. Yeah, um, but didn't think about radio as some as an option really until. 
until I, I went to America when I was a student and yeah. I spent a summer in America and listened to lots of American college radio. Yeah. And, and that kind of really opened my eyes as to what radio could be, you know, that it could actually be playing the Velvet Underground at, at yeah. breakfast time. I mean, and it's, stuff like it's that. A, a massive thing that we don't have over here, really, isn't mm. it? I think a college a radio in America is something that is a huge deal and pitched for for release campaigns and all sorts of stuff because it's got such a, a powerful reach and influence. And over here, we don't have as much of it. Obviously, there's there's some uh, levels of it, but it doesn't feel as quite a broad and and, and respected thing, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it was vital, really, um, back in the 80s and 90s, but particularly the 80s, um, it really opened up the United States for British yeah. artists particularly. And, yeah, of course. And this is, in a way, how uh, one of the things that led to XFM, because the cure felt that they got broken in America by college radio. Amazing. And when Sammy Jacob, who came up with the idea for XFM, um, invited uh, Robert Smith and his manager at the time, um, Chris Parry, round to his mum's house, where he used to do this this broadcast (laughs) under the name of Q102, they got talking and the seed of there should be some kind of radio station that was a bit like college radio in America yeah. in Britain because so much amazing music comes out of Britain and and it doesn't seem to get on the daytime as much as it, it should. Yeah. You know, and that was the idea. And that's why Robert Smith and, and Chris Parry got involved and behind what became XFM, you know, and, and the, the first broadcast for XFM was from um, an office building in Charlotte Street in, in London. And that's where Fiction Records was based at the time and that's where the Cures operation was based. So XFM had a, a room in the back yeah. that did this month-long trial broadcast for uh, the first time in 1992 and did another one later on that year. So they did two that year. Um, but that was really because of the Cure and Robert Smith's support of, of the idea of it. That's amazing. I had no idea that there was that much a connection there. Yeah, such a, yeah, it was a beautiful vital. start, really. Yeah. I, it, it wasn't until I started doing the beatdown on XFM that I found out that my uncle, um, Pat Meads, was... A DJ on XFM briefly at, wow. at the very start, so probably in that same place yeah. in that same time. So that's yeah. amazing, Pat Meads. Completely, a completely b- bizarre and, and and yeah, I don't know. It's it's nice to know that it had such um, I don't know pure and innocent roots. I guess it did. You know. Yeah, I mean it's interesting. Um, I mean it, it, for those who don't know, Sammy Jacob came up with the idea of XFM. Now he is an intriguing and interesting character in his right. own right. Um, he was somebody who'd been a sound engineer. And um, he'd been into music for a long time and was quite into jazz funk in the kind of late 70s, early 80s. And jazz funk at the time, particularly in London and uh, the the, um, outskirts of London, um, was quite into pirate radio. And there were a lot of different pirate radio stations that would play jazz funk. And Sammy was involved in that scene and knew people like Gordon Mack and Charles Peterson um, who were doing similar things and putting out um, jazz funk shows on, on pirate radio stations yeah and uh, but sammy um after he trained to become a sound engineer i think i've got this right so he, he worked as a sound engineer a bit and then went backpacking in europe at some point in the mid 80s yeah. and on this trip had a bit of a uh, revelation uh, about guitar music and alternative music and yeah. he hadn't really been into it before and while traveling heard some tunes that he really really liked and then came back to britain and this idea had started to grow in his head that hang on a minute if there were pirate radio stations um for for 
jazz, funk and soul, why couldn't there be a pirate radio station for, for this kind of music? And so yeah. by this time we're looking at the late 80s and the, the pirate radio scene was still strong and it was starting to reflect the emergent dance music culture that married what had been done before in the kind of jazz funk circles with um, a kind of soul revival and yeah. hip-hop coming to the fore and then house just starting up and so kiss started up and kind of married a lot of those things together and then they won a license in 1990 um and what happened was that uh, in order to win a license they came off air for a year applied won a license and then came on as a legal station in 1990 alongside lots of other community stations around that time and Sammy saw this and thought, no there really should be a a kind of alternative station especially in London um if we're going to have Kiss, we should have the kind of rock equivalent. Um, And rather than be a pirate, because he tried being a pirate for a little bit, as I was saying, out of his mum's house in East London, um, he thought we could try and use this thing called the RSL, the Restricted Service Licence, which was used at the time by hospital radio. So they'd go on on FM frequency for a week or a month as a kind of way of spreading... Uh, their word about themselves and raising some money to run the, right, the yeah. station. So he, he thought you could apply for a licence like that, um, use that as a way of saying this kind of radio should exist in, in mm-hmm. London, in the UK. Yeah. And so the idea was, right, we'll do a, a few of these RSLs. Everybody will agree that what the world needs now it's is wonderfully is important and required, yeah. Um, and, and we'll have a licence within a year or two. Um, unfortunately, it took five years of campaigning to, to win that licence. So yeah. it wasn't until 1997 that we won the licence and um, came on air full time in September 97. And so I, I was involved in all in all that time. Oh, wow. Um, so, so you were involved from the very start? Yeah, and- yeah, because I'd got involved in radio. What happened was that um, that revelation I was saying about going to America and thinking about college radio and thinking, yeah. wow, you know, radio could be something else other than listening under the bedclothes at night trying yeah. to find something that you like. Um that was a tiny seed in my mind and I'd started DJing when I was at uh, university yeah. um, out of boredom me and my friend started a, a club night so I kind of inadvertently became a DJ and wrote about music Again, for I the genuinely think that's one of the best births of, of DJ and particularly with with indie or, or rock music where you're generally not expected to mix it together or this or that it's kind of it's just someone who's Again, it's essentially very low-range radio. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's someone who's got a good CD collection or album collection. It's like, I can play you some really good songs. They can't get heard much further than this room, yeah. but, but that's our frequency, that's our range so far, and it's yeah. a, a beautiful yeah, it, birth. It's true, in a way, that's what it was like. I mean, um, I mean, I had a lot of records. I was a mad gig-goer and a mad record buyer, and it seemed like a really constructive, useful way of yeah. of using these records. And, and it seemed like there weren't that many we I was at university in Norwich and there weren't that many places to go so we um hired a room above a pub um in a place called Samantha's it was 75p to get in amazing and we ran this night called the plastic factory once a week and it was really just to fellow students yeah and it's interesting because this was about mid 80s and it was almost pre-Balearic because what we were playing were loads of different indie things of the time plus um some punk things like buzzcocks or sex pistols but then um things like salt and pepper yeah and you know a, a few uh, some soul classics yeah and so it's quite a mixture um but that's kind of what we we're all into and it I just seemed it. a natural kind of thing to do and so after i'd done that for a while i did that for a couple of years and then started djing around norwich a little bit and came back to london which is where i was from and i still hadn't grasped that i would 
like to be a DJ, really. I knew that I just wanted to be involved in music. And I was writing mm-hmm. about music a bit um, for, at, at university. I was writing for the university magazine about you know, reviews and yeah, sure. stuff like that and local bands. And um, so kind of tried to get some kind of work experience in a magazine and kind of it, bizarrely I ended up doing some work experience in a magazine called Jocks. Yeah. J-O-C-K-S, which right. was a magazine aimed at the mobile DJ. Wow. Um, so it was a very specific wow. market. Yeah. And a, a very odd um, experience. But I met a That's few... That's so specific. That is, I, I, really I love that they're particularly then, and I mean, it's died off a... A, a bit now, but still, if you go into um, a bookstore that's got a lot of huge range in magazines, the fact that there would be these huge monthly printed things for such specific, yeah, weird, weird little. Uh, I mean, the mobile DJ, I think, was probably a big thing at the time. In, yeah, into so. the late eighties, early nineties, um, the magazine did die out. Yeah, yeah um, but yeah. I guess it was a precursor, possibly, to things like Mixmag. Um, yeah, there was a, a journalist a DJ who, Mag. All of they them. They had, I guess, had a whole section go. in Jocks, which was um, BPM. So yeah. all the new releases, um, they would list and they'd give their BPM. Amazing. And this guy would go through and and count the BPM on all these yeah. new releases yeah. and, and then it would be printed in the middle of the magazine. It was, it was really, it was a strange that's magazine. genius. I love that. I love that. <laughs> I think that's amazing. Um, but but it didn't lead to a job and it kind of put me off uh, journalists in a way because <laughs> they, they, they I, the, the, so you quit as a pianist as yeah, a trumpet, I know, a real as a journalist I know I know it's quite sad so I mean the, the kind of music journalists that I, I bumped into and met I don't know they just seemed quite snobby yeah. and I didn't feel the same way I mean we shared music taste but uh, they, they all seemed to be very judgmental hmm. and I was technically unemployed and there was a, a media course for the unemployed that I saw advertised um, um, which was based at a cable radio station in South East London. Yeah. And uh, I applied and um, they didn't have any spaces left. But they took my details and when they ran the course again, three months later, they got in touch and said, are you still interested? And I remember at the time um, I had uh, a job offer of, of um, Tower Records. Right. That they had called me in and, and I'd applied to get a job there. Mm-hmm. And um, they were going to offer me a job there. I think, and um, I had this other media course for the unemployed option, and I decided to remain unemployed and do the media course instead of taking up the job at Tower Records. And so this was based at this cable radio station called Radio Thamesmead, um, and it was run by community service volunteers, an organisation that's still going today. And the idea was that they trained up various different um, unemployed people in skills of different levels so you got to do a radio show you got to do some editing on quarter inch tape and that kind of thing got to do some interviewing got to do some presenting they did a little uh tv thing that they did as well and the people on the course is about 20 people were a real variety of of people who just left school they were Mm -hmm. 16 17 got a really long term unemployed here about 55 no still hadn't had a job for 20 years or something and then and then some graduates like me and then some other people from different Countries who just arrived in, in yep. London were looking for ways of trying to do something. Um, so it's quite a motley crew, and it was. I'd, really- I'd love to know if anyone else on that course. Oh- I went on to any other level of because obviously you've had yeah. a whole career. In, yeah. yeah, and they probably I know, I they know. probably don't think that when when running the course because essentially a lot of them courses are, um, as you said, to provide some kind of skill or service whether it will be used, you know, you often expect it it won't be. It will be something that people come and do for a bit and then back to unemployment or back to to whatever they have to do to get get by. So, again, it must be great 
for them in in many ways that that's that someone came on that course and it it changed their life i guess yeah well it really did change my life i mean because i'd been doing this djing thing um i suggested to the people who ran it you know what you should let me do a show once a week and i could play like all these new bands no and it it would be really brilliant um and they said yes so that started um me doing a show really and and the show was called sharp as a needle and it ran on this uh, that's a good name this it was it was after a record which was on on you sound which was um an adrian sherwood production and um and it was a kind of football record. So it had all these crowd chants on it and oh, wow. uh, kind of football commentary. And it says something like, <laughs> Dogleash, sharp as a needle. And it, but the, it had a nice instrumental bit. So I was very schooled in, in the world of John Peel and he had an intro music at that point. And, yeah. and so this kind of acted as my intro music for a while. And yeah. so I started doing this show once a week um, on this cable radio station, Radio Thamesmead. And then around the same time that KISS were applying for a licence, um, Radio Thamesmead decided what would be good for them would be to combine this charity stuff that they were doing, you know, training people and, and that kind of thing through community service volunteers, but also do it on an FM licence. Yeah. So they came off air, applied to get an FM licence and got an FM licence that started broadcasting in 1990 um, to South East London and North West Kent, yeah. a very specific region. Yeah, and, a... and again, the idea was that it would have a whole combination of different kinds of programmes um, uh, a lot of kind of outreach things. So, so they would have a program for the blind, and yeah. various different communities were represented. And in a way, I represented a kind of alternative music community <laughs> yeah. once a week. And so I did started doing that, and that's um, that's really where it began. Because I, I love that. Because I guess uh, I mean, in, in, f- from hearing that the the whole story there, seeing that from when you were doing your club nights in a room above. Samantha's was it in? Yeah, in, well, the Samantha's in, was the disco. The the pub. I can't remember what the pub. The pub's now. The pub at the time was a kind of. Uh, was it heavy metal pub? Something yeah, like that. Right. It's yeah. an Irish uh, yeah. theme pub now. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, from doing that there to your your radio show there to your radio show now, the link and key I think has always been from the sounds of it is eclecticism. The, like the fact that it's there's such a a range of, of variation as. As an artist, and then as a as a label manager, when you've got your bands on your label or whatever, and you're looking at, again, you don't a lot of bands don't don't realise that certain bands aren't suited for certain shows. So you kind of look over what you've got and think, oh, that that might fit Eddie's show, that might fit Hugh Stevens' show, that might fit Zane's show. I've never looked at any artist and thought. That won't fit John's show. It's always like oh, it, it will fit John's show because it's good music. You know, if it's good music, then it's worth at least putting in his, his direction. Because you've introduced me to Grimax, to Indiax, to Punk Axe, to, to to all sorts of acts on your show. So, or to dance acts even, which mm. again has always been a genre I str- struggled with over the years. So, yeah, that eclecticism seems to have have, have carried through. Yeah, well, it has. I mean, it, it, it's it seems to um, have just emerged. I mean, partly through my own taste, partly through being educated by various different experiences in a way. I mean, when I, my sister was into this uh, 
radio listening and then we we had one record player in the house and so if we bought a record we everybody would hear it or me and my sister yeah. would hear it yeah, yeah, yeah. and you'd end up dancing around to each other's records and yeah. she went through a few different phases and I went through a few different phases and she would buy the records she liked and I would buy the records I liked but we ended up liking each other's records even yeah, though at course. the time we kind of might have said oh I don't like that um, yeah. so she went through a night fever stage and was really into disco stuff and then she went through a phase where she was really into this DJ um, on Capitol called Greg Edwards um, who was a kind of jazz funk DJ yeah. and so she was really into bands like Imagination and stuff like yeah. that but our next door neighbour Elaine uh, went through a kind of uh, rock and roll revival phase um, and they were kind of similar age and so Siobhan my sister kind of soaked up a bit of that so we had a, yeah. a Buddy Holly collection and a yeah. Shawadi Wadi record and, and things like that I love it I and love then I the was ability buying... and nature to just absorb all sorts of genres again it's so common in so many people that you get into your one genre it's changing now with the broadness of music on the internet I think but when I was growing up, at least, I was into punk or hardcore or whatever. I wouldn't give dance music a look. I wouldn't give hip-hop a look. You know, there's, there was so many boundaries of you're in your group and that's that. But, f- but from the sounds of it, it couldn't have been more different for you. It was like, here's something new and exciting. You yeah. know, there's, the, the, yeah. there's a purity there of not being too married to one thing. Yeah. I mean, we were very young, so we yeah. didn't know any better. But yeah, also, I mean, you know, I did say, oh, no, the Sex Pistols are better than yeah, yeah, no, yeah. the Bee Gees or whatever. But yeah. we'd still end up, you know, I mean, if she's going to be playing Night Fever 50 times a day, yeah. then you're going to hear it. I've got to say, it is one of my all-time favourite albums, um, it's, Saturday Night Fever. It's a great record. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing. And I, and I also want to just quickly tell people that if you've not seen the film, you should see the film. Because I think it's one of the, the great underrated films. Because people think it's going to be like Grease. But it's not. It no. was one of the first to freely use the C word. And it's got, you know, some really dark... There's suicide in there. There's real depression, yeah. sexism, all sorts of really serious stuff and some amazingly funky dance and the music. So yeah. what more could you ask for? But yeah, yeah anyway. No, it's true. It's, it's, it's gritty social realism. It really is. But we hadn't seen, well, I think maybe Siobhan had seen the film. She'd snuck yeah. in. No, I, I looked about five. Yeah. Um, and so <laughs> I'd never saw the film until many years later. Yeah. But that's um, the beauty of, yeah. of, of, again, it's, it's, it's so rare to have a, a film that has a soundtrack like that, that has a life of its own and its own, its own fame and 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 glory in itself, I guess, is the the film's soundtrack these days seems to be a bit of a you have you have your one big single mm. and then it's all all tagged on. So yeah, yeah, it's quite an odd one. So what's so what was your then pro, pro, progression from doing essentially community radio to to teaming up with the people at XFM and then kind of also XFM's pr- progression from being yeah. a tiny little thing to to what it's become. Well, what happened because I. I no, Radio Thamesmead won the FM licence and, and changed its name to RTM Radio to try and keep a, a link to Radio Thamesmead, but yeah. also create a new identity. So, yeah. so it's kind of like Radio Thamesmead Radio. It's a bit yeah, weird. Yeah, 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 yeah. But there was, it, it didn't matter because it gave me a show once a week. Locally, I used to uh, uh, laugh hugely because the uh, Thurrock Music Festival, which was our local festival, became called it changed its name to TMF Festival, which again was the Thorup Music Festival Festival, <laughs> which just, the, the, I, I love the beauty and irony yeah. of abbreviating, but forgetting to drop a word, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's funny, <laughs> it's very silly. Um, so I'd started doing this show once a week and I, by this stage, thought, yes, radio is for me, mm. no, and uh, I really want to get into radio, I want to get a job in radio. Yeah. And so I was applying for various different um, uh, kind of traineeships at the BBC 
and at the same time working in telephone market research, um, which I thought was nice and flexible and yep. would give me freedom to do what I wanted to do. Yeah, perfect. Um, but it was such a, a terrible job to do. It's really ground me down. And, and um, I was kind of thinking, oh, God, you know, because I, I, I was getting uh, interviews for these traineeships, but not getting the, the placement. Right. And, um, and I was looking at other ways of earning some money um, temp- in temporary work and went to a temping agency, which I hadn't done before, yeah. and had a conversation with this woman in this temping agency. And she listened to what I was saying. And she said, well, what you're doing, um, you're being a bit stupid coming to us because what you should be doing is applying to the BBC. They have lots of temporary work there. Yeah. Um, they have this this uh, pool application that you could do and you could be on their pool of, of temporary workers yeah. and then you'd be working within the organisation yeah, and within um, broadcasting and yeah. then you can work out how you get on from there. And it was, it was, it was uh, such a surprise because she was quite brutal about it. Yeah. And I, I felt, oh, oh, a bit, a bit upset. Why are you here? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a really good advice. And so I found out and got the form I needed to fill in, filled in the form. And within about two weeks, I got uh, two replies. And it was quite funny because I got one reply, which was offering me an interview for a job. And then a reply the next day saying, sorry, we don't have any opportunities at the moment um, from the same organisation. Brilliant. um, But that interview was for a job in the gramophone library, the BBC gramophone library, which is their record library. And um, so I went along and um, they offered me the job. And it was like working in a in a sweet shop, you know, yeah. because here's somebody who spends all his money on records and going to see bands, and I'm now in possibly the biggest record library in the world. You no, know, so That's un- it was comparable to the National Sound Archive, but unlike the National Sound Archive, it didn't just have one copy of each thing that had ever been released. It had multiple copies because oh, wow. the approach was um, if, say, the new Madonna album is going to be borrowed by loads and loads of different departments we need to have loads of different copies yeah, of it yeah. um, that's so, great it's an archive that's an archive to be used rather than an archive yes. to be looked at and say look what we've got it's like no we're going to we're going to rinse these. Yeah, yeah, completely. And so at the time, everybody in the BBC borrowed records from the gramophone library in order yeah. to make their programmes. So it would be at Radio 1, Radio 4, um, a local BBC station. And so I got this job and um, and I really liked it. It was, it, it, it was great. No, and, uh, no, sounds I, like I, I got sounds to borrow like however sure, many records yeah. I wanted to borrow. And, yeah. and I ended up working in a, an office called the Orders Office where you place the orders for the stock for the library. Right. So all we did was organise that and listen to music all day long, um, which was just fantastic. And, and not have to deal with customers either. Because uh, no, in a record shop, you have to deal with customers. And in in other parts of the library, you had to deal with customers. In yeah. that, you know, people come in and ask for various different things. You'd have to go and get them, which yeah. is fine. It was, yeah, it was all yeah, very pleasant. Yeah. Um, but this was the sanctuary in a way. The beauty there is it's you and other like-minded people going... We need to get this, and have you got this? Completely. And look at this. Yeah, and and working with people because the, the department was quite big, and you were working with people who were experts on jazz, experts on blues, experts on opera. So you were kind of discovering new worlds, really. And I mean, all these new releases were coming in as well, and you'd have the opportunity to listen to them at the same time. And and so I was doing that, but I had continued doing the radio show once a week. Yeah. Um, and I was kind of commuting to do that because I I didn't drive at the time, and the the sh- station was based in Thamesmead, which is right on the outskirts of South East London, and it um, so the show uh, would end after I could get a train home. So I'd sleep right. in the office and then get the train into work and go to work the next day. Amazing. So I had a little sleeping bag in the locker. Yeah, there. Um, but then the X of M connection 
arose because I saw an advert in NME for um, Reading Festival Radio and somebody was setting up a radio station for the Reading Festival for one weekend only and uh, the bill at the time for Reading um, had Nirvana playing, not headlining, they were like one of the bands earlier on on the main stage, yeah. uh, Mercury Rev and all those kind of bands. Edwin Collins and um, you know I would have been going to Reading anyway and I thought this is my kind of radio station I need to get Perfect, involved in that yeah, yeah. so um, somehow I managed to get a number and I phoned the number and I managed to speak to the person who was starting this and it turned out his name was Sammy Jacob um, and he listened to what I said and said well um, I'm all sorted I've got everybody I need for that weekend but let me take your number and um, you know if anything happens I'll give you a ring and then like the following day or the next day, he rang up and said, actually, could I get a tape of this show that you do in South East yeah. London? So I sent him a tape and then he rang back and um, said, right, got the tape. Um, there's this wrong with it. There's that wrong with it. No, you really shouldn't do that. Do you want to do three shows over the weekend at Reading Festival? <laughs> so it's going to okay. And this is, uh, it was quite illustrative of, of, of what Sammy was like as a, as a kind of personality. Yeah. Um, Here's but, everything that's wrong with it. You've got the job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was great. So I went and did, um, you know, camped and uh, did the Reading Festival thing and met quite a few different people like Steve Lamack and Johnny Walker yeah. and some other people that ended up working on XFM. And at the end of that weekend, Sammy said, look, I've got this idea for uh, an alternative radio station in London and we're using this RSL for the Reading Festival as a little try-out to see how easy it can be done. And I'm thinking of doing a similar thing, but for a month in London next year, would you be interested? And I said, yeah, of course, that sounds fantastic. Yeah. And and true to his word, once he'd got it organised, a call came in, uh, we'll say in February 92, so that was Reading Festival Radio, uh, radio 91, um, and we did a, a broadcast for a month in the spring, something like April maybe, of 1992, and that's yeah. where XFM the name started and, and where it all began, really. Amazing. Um, and so I carried on working at the BBC for the five years of campaigning. I was, was going to say, yeah. like, how long did you manage to maintain that job? Because yeah. in, in many ways, that perfectly feeds the radio show and Complete. everything else because you're surrounded and immersed in and have access. And particularly if you're not um, a, a, a man of wealth, the ability to have access to so much music and so much variation is a would be a hard thing to give up. Yeah, no, completely. It, it was fantastic. And, and in a way, it was like the, the best dream dead-end job you could ask for yeah, because yeah. Um, it, it's working in the gramophone library wasn't going to lead anywhere particularly. And the way to work yeah. at the BBC is to move department constantly and climb the internal ladder. Yeah. And I did a little bit of uh, kind of freelance work for the... Um, for Radio 5 that had just started out before it yep. became 5 Live and did a few little packages uh, for them. Um, but once I had kind of the the RTM show, the XFM shows on the go, it was almost like I, I, I kind of forgot about climbing the BBC ladder because yeah. I thought, well, I've got my outlet here. I can do this. And then as I got more involved in that, people asked me to DJ at gigs more and, and that kind of thing, which was more of an outlet. Yeah, and so I was quite kind of happy, especially with this idea that, well, XFM will get a licence. It will only take so yeah. long. And it just ended up taking a bit longer than we anticipated. So I carried on um, doing all, all that stuff um, at the same time. But it was great because when I got... Um, loads of different guests in down to, to travel all the way to Thamesmead and people like Corner Shop yeah. uh, came down, David Gray came down awesome. and played. Um, 
Uh, yeah, all sorts of people, and 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 it was great because I nobody was telling me what to do, and I was pretty shambolic and rubbish, um, but I got to do it and yeah. learn an awful lot from it um, yeah, without you know much uh, kind of weight of responsibility. And really. again, I think it, it it all translates through. And hearing this is beautiful because it really feels like the it it makes me realise how much your show can never be replicated because there's such a crazy amount of things that that have happened there and the fact that you worked in in in, in the gramophone library and had access to all of that that is is reflected in in what you do on your show and things like that so it feels that can never those series of events can, it can never come together again but um and let's talk briefly about from um being there at the start i guess of of the only the the original alternative a radio station in London, it means that you've given f- f- first plays and first sessions and stuff like that to a lot of l- legendary bands. As I was saying to Dan Rido, who was was just in, um, and I, and we were talking about how you know you've there's there's so many p- people you've given the first play to or first break to. He was saying that he remembered when you were re- he was on 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 sites somewhere recording. Uh, something with you of 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 the white stripes and as soon as as, as they walked in they were very much john and like, you know it, it's like you've got that that thing where so many bands have gone on to be huge have sat this close to you in the past and spoken as intimately and like before they had this huge experience or exposure so yeah so can you kind of i, th- I think of a few memories of particular people you've either had really early interviews with or I mean even I, I remember discussing before a list of people you've given first place yeah. to and I, I mean to I, it's always when well. I walk away from giving people a list that I remember other things that yeah um, yeah. Um, yeah I mean I, I've been really lucky and very privileged to be in the position where I I can do that and also people come to me with their first recordings yeah. um, and I can't claim the White Stripes but I did talk to the White Stripes pretty early on yeah, and they yeah. did a session for us and, and there, there was an ongoing kind of relationship so I mean and Jack is a, a gentleman and, and yeah. you know doesn't forget things and, yeah, and yeah. so you know that time with Dan you know he, he would remember that but um, it's interesting because when XFM first began and I was doing this midnight till two slot Monday to yeah. Thursday um, and that was during the trial period and then when we got the licence in 97 I was doing a kind of similar kind of slot um and in some ways, um, the whole idea of the station was that it wasn't to ghettoise things. It was to bring the ghetto to daytime mainstream. And so that's sure. what it was trying to do. And so in the, at, at that point, any session generally went out during the daytime. Any interview generally went out during the daytime as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And generally, they, they would go for fairly big, biggish artists at the time yeah. to, to do that stuff. But after a bit of persuasion, um, Sammy agreed that once a week... Actually, it was Sunday to Thursday that I was doing. Uh, once a week, I could have a guest and I, they could do a session. So yeah. this is on a Sunday night. And so that's kind of where I started doing that on XFM specifically. And then we got bought out and um, by Capital Radio and the whole nature of the station changed. And I was one of the lucky few who was kept on. Mm-hmm. Um, and my approach was, well, I'd given up this job, this kind of permanent job at the BBC in order to do this. So I was kind of like, right, we'll just wait and see what happens. So they want to keep you on. If you don't like it, you can walk away. Yeah. And luckily, within kind of three months, because they got a really negative response to the changes that they had made, within three months they started thinking about changing the station and trying to replicate what it had been to an extent. Yeah. extent. And one way they did that was to um, 
offer me a, a show once a week. You know, basically, to, and my idea for a show once a week kind of crossed with my boss's idea of a show once a week. Right. Almost like the, the same, you know, two, two emails went round and, yeah, and yeah, a phone yeah. call. Um, and so it ended up that I ended up with this show called Exposure once yeah. a week on a Saturday night. Um, and then by about a year later, um, that became five nights a week. Yeah. Um, it kind of grew. It went from Saturday to Friday and then suddenly it was Sunday to Thursday. Yeah. And then it ended up being Monday to Thursday. And that's when I really got the opportunity to do this kind of um, uh, discovery thing yeah. because I had so much time and I also had the opportunity to to get people in and do lots of interviews and suggest, look, pick up your guitar, come in, play live to air, let's do it. Much as the model I had done in Thamesmead, yeah, um, that kind of thing, and so and that be, luckily the, the people in charge at that point just let me get on with it and let me yeah. let me do that and didn't have to vet anything that I I played. So it's perfect. By this point, I knew all sorts of people through record shops and through gigs and through record labels, and so um, you build up contacts that help bring music to you. And so there's a combination of of acquaintances or friends saying yeah. I've just heard this you should hear it and other people just sending in unsolicited material like yourself yep, yep. with a nice letter and you read the letter and you put it on and think actually this is pretty good yeah and so I mean some of the ones that I, I remember I mean MIA is one that I remember because yeah. this guy Billy who used to work at Rough Trade shop in yep. uh, West London um, who used to, before that he'd worked at Banquet Records in Putney and I used to shop there and we got to know each other and he moved to a rough trade. Anyway, I was in there one time and he said, look, there's this artist, um, um, she lives in the same building as me, uh, you should check her out. And yeah. I think he gave me a CD with Galang on it. Yeah. And right. I think I played it that night and then I wrote about it in Days and Confused. And it was an exposure big one the following week. And what was interesting was that I hadn't met MIA and uh, I don't think he, maybe Billy had then said to her, if he'd passed her on the corridor or something, said, oh, my mate John's going to play you on XFM, or he has played you on yeah. XFM. And I got this call out of the blue from MIA, yeah. like a, a, only a few days after I'd played her on the radio. Hello, um, no, my name's Maya, I'm MIA, um, and I understand you've been playing my record on the radio or my, my tune on the radio. Yeah. Um, and I thought I should give you a bit more information about myself and, and put you in the picture about who I am. And for about an hour... She told me about herself oh, wow. on the phone and kind of, you know, put me in the picture of who she was and, and all this kind of stuff. And it was really kind of amazing yeah. just because it was so memorable because nobody else had done that before. No. And then I met her, um, I was DJing at, on a boat on the Thames, but it was moored, it wasn't going anywhere. Right. Um, and the Rapture were playing on the boat and I was yeah. DJing at this gig. And MIA was going to be, be there with Justine Frischman, who she was pally with at mm -hmm. the time. And so that's when I first met her, and yeah. then she came on the show, and um, quite a few times, you know, in the yeah. early days. And um, and that was just that's one that really stands out because yeah, she was such a feisty character, and and it was a good example of what you were talking about earlier on of. Um, an artist who doesn't necessarily fit the blueprint of what you think of as, as XFM. Yeah. But from my point of view, it's very XFM because at the time, I mean, Glang Sound is so different to everything else that I don't know where it would have yeah. fit. Exactly. And, um, and, and again, it, to me, it had a kind of punky spirit that was what XFM yeah, was all about. It's those tracks that um, can really get traction and come to life on, on, on your sh show because it's, it's that thing where it's not. It's XFM. It's not another indie band or an, 
another rock band, but something there is is connecting. And you've you've touched upon it, and I've told it when we um, I, I came on 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 your show, me and Dan, for our kind of our final interview, uh, which I think is still a podcast available, I, I believe. So people should grab that um, on the XFM podcasts. Um, but I should say the story of of, of sending in in music to you, I guess, is it's yeah, it, it's relevant. But at the time, I was doing. Um, I'd done some s- s- solo gigs and me and Dan had done numerous gigs with Kate Nash and with Adele and Jack Peñate and everyone kind of talked of John Kennedy was the one giving them the, either their first plays or their, their you know, their big breaks, their big, big pushes. Um, and it was, and me and Dan hadn't really recorded anything yet. And then we recorded Adash Always Kill and we had a few tracks he had remixed um, of off my solo record, off no, off no commercial breaks, and after doing a gig in Harrow or Harlow, whichever one it is, Harrow's where it's Harrow Kate is from, yeah, yeah that one yeah. from Harrow, um, above a pub in Harrow, and Kate saying, "You've got to just send a CD to John A. Kennedy." I kind of I looked up the XFM address and burnt a CDR so it was all very amateurish and it was the only one that we'd sent out and I wrote a note saying again I feel bad that I exploited the friendship with Kate Nash by saying <laughs> my friend Kate or casually my friend Kate Nash in big capital a letter said to send this to you, you might like it um, and you got it and again as you were saying with MIA there you played it that night so it was, it was one of those amazing things of it happened faster than we could have hoped and we then got word through MySpace that you played it and that you were going to play it again and again it's it's bizarre and it's weird from having done a radio show now because even i gave a lot of 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 us acts their first uk plays and i forget how much that really means to you as an artist at the time and literally as i've I've told you before i we as i was still living at my mum's and we had um we tuned into XFM on the TV for some reason rather than on a radio and there was me, my mum, my brother and our mate Andy um, and we didn't know when you were going to uh, play and you kind of hyped at the start that you had a new a new hot one um, and said you'd, you'd played it before and it had gone down or, or you'd got a lot of response mm. and we were like, ah, that's not going to be us and then again, you, you kept teasing it and you got to this particular track and you said, I played this last night and it got one of the biggest text responses. And again, I need to pr- prefix this with um, the fact that I think that's the beauty of things like us and MIA on your show is they're going to get that bigger reaction because they're so different and they yeah. hadn't heard anything like it at the time. And we're still sitting there going, this isn't going to be us. And then you played Thou Shout and it, yeah, it, it blew us away. And that kind of, again, started the snowball. Obviously, we had a load of support from Rob Bank and numerous other great people in radio and all sorts, but that was the the catalyst and starting yeah. point for us. And then even to, uh, to the extent that when we r- wrote the full album Angles, uh, we sent it to you to get advice on what tracks we should keep and what we should drop. You gave it a name because originally <laughs> we had the, had the name of, of The Little Death, which then P- Pete and the Pirates released an album just before that as called The Little Death. And you kind of said, I think Angles works. I think Angles is the is 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 the way to go on that. So yeah, Kind of hugely influential there. In, <laughs> well, it in seemed so to. I mean, it seemed that. to sum up so much of what you were doing. No, yeah. but it is funny because I really remember getting that CD and reading that letter. Um, at the time, um, our studio 
um, was on the fourth floor of the building that we're in now. And there was another little studio just near it. Yeah. And often I would collect, post and walk, go into that studio and play things before I'd go and do my show. Yeah. And so I'd collected whatever packages had arrived. And this was, I think, just after Christmas. I think it was between Christmas yeah. and New Year. Yeah, so it was so. kind of a fairly dead time in a, in yeah. a way. Um, and I put read the note put the CD in and thought, wow, that sounds fantastic and played it that night. And I think I might have played it beside something like LCD Sound System. Yeah. Um, and it did get an amazing reaction yeah. and immediately people were saying, what was that? Tell me more. Yeah. I want to hear that again. And so I played it the following night, as you say, and again, it got a really, really great reaction and really, really stood out. And those things you re- really remember. You know, it's yeah. really exciting. I, I think even Rob DeBank's said or you said he, he actually heard it on the yeah, show yeah, yeah, and then yeah. contacted you because he'd heard yeah it, yeah which is lovely and and that's the the power of radio you know? again it's and it's beautiful and i love that um again like when i did the, the beat down i sat i sat down with chris who brought me in who's amazing here and um i said like one of the things i said to him was i'm only up for doing this show if i'm allowed to acknowledge that other stations exist because mm-hmm. i thought i'd seen that that was the reality i'd seen that Zane would would listen to your show and hear new music and you would listen to stuff you know everyone's like I want to be able to say I heard this on Zane last night it's amazing because again it's it's ignorant to think that everyone's the enemy or to think that people aren't aware that yeah. there's anything like they've just bought a radio and they've turned it on and it happens to be tuned into XFM and they're unaware that it's a, a movable dial and there's other stations that exist it's like it's it's okay to acknowledge that and I love that again your show I definitely think is one that a lot of people f- feed off of. Um, I'm going to ask you again f- for more people you've given first <laughs> plays, but first, before I'm going to let you yeah. g- well, no, give you a minute I, to yeah. think about that, because another thing I was discussing a, a recent was a, one of the things I enjoyed about, um, or have always enjoyed about a, your show is there was a point where everyone was. And it, again, it's beautiful to hear your influences because there was a point where everyone was clambering to be the new John Peel and people were trying to get that as their kind of a label. And it, it felt to me that while they were all doing that, you kind of sat quietly in the background getting on with what you do and essentially d- doing what John Peel's show was doing. If you know what I mean, R- rather than trying to replace it or ju- you kind of just continued the job of what of what I'd been doing of breaking new music of 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 of, of bridging genres and styles and everything and I don't know I kind of always I loved that as when everyone was battling over that title the title wasn't important to you it was the actual the thing because what was was then missing from the radio in that slot was John Peel's show so you kind of can you, obviously it's I can see that you'd already been influenced to make your show inspired by that mm. in many ways so you kind of just continued that job and I was well completely I mean he, he he you know t- opened me up to so many different kinds of music yeah. and the definitely periods of my life when I was listening to him and I and I would hear something and think oh, I don't like that and then he'd play it again and then you'd think I don't like that and then you'd think oh I really hope he plays that track I don't like and then suddenly you you turned on to a whole new musical genre it's, that you thought I didn't like it's and, so it's so similar to what you were saying about siblings as well mm. how so much stuff there you'll be like I don't know why they're listening to this and then after a while you're like 
I'm going to listen to it while they're out. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, don't want to hear that song again. It's yeah. like, now I really need to hear that song again. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, definitely when I moved thing. away from home and, and heard some of the stuff that my sister was listening to in a different context yeah. and realised, oh, I know this. I like this. This yeah. is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's like, oh, I, I, I like this then. It suddenly yeah. becomes a credible yeah. thing that you're yeah. like, yeah, yeah, I've been listening to this for years. Yeah. Like, you don't mention the part that you've been arguing to have it turned off for years yeah. and you've yeah. been hating no, this. this is like, it. Oh. I mean, there, there were so many things when I was a teenager where you have strong opinions about things and, and you, it always felt as if you had to have a strong opinion and so you jump to a conclusion really quickly and then regret ever saying that because yeah. the minute you said it you realise oh actually I don't think that anymore yeah. um, but I mean thanks for all those nice complimentary things about no. the, the John Peel thing um, I mean it's one thing that I always felt with XFM and the, the budgets have always been tight here and, and it's not really in my nature but to, to, to shout about stuff yeah. um, and I tend to think you just get on with things yeah. and, and it's in the doing that um, things get done in effect yeah. and so Completely. that's always the approach because I, you know we don't have the budget to advertise we don't have I don't have the personality that will run around and tell people how brilliant I am yeah. um, so I won't bother doing that yeah. I, instead I'll just do it and hopefully somebody will notice a little bit that these things are happening. I think that's just, it's a huge testament to to what you achieve there, the fact that your show has been the constant from from then coming. Again, because it isn't something that you will be shouting about or that there will be the the budget to shout about or go crazy on, but it's just continues there with that yeah. Same strength and I mean, still, bit, I have been still very breaking lucky. new bands. I and mean, considering the context of of uh, the ownership of XFM and yeah. uh, and the, the fact that it is a commercial radio station, and so it has to answer certain kind of commercial prerequisites, like actually trying to make some money. Yeah. Um, the idea that they they let me in there and don't dictate what I say or, or do or play is kind of extraordinary. And the fact that I've done it for so long is yeah. is doubly extraordinary. The thing that it, it, it excites me is your continuing ability to, 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 to take on new sounds and, and new music. It, I feel it's easy. P- people often in their youth will be influenced by a, a, lot, a lot of music and then there'll be a point where they kind of, unbeknownst to them, a barrier comes up and that's the music that they know about and that they're into. And that's why even great shows become dated and become... N- n- not relevant anymore or people need to be moved on from shows or shuffled from from one over to, to BBC Two or, you, you know, mm. or things like that. But your show, again, it's that you still seem to constantly be having bands sitting here who are just about in their teens and the, the hottest new thing and things like that. So, yeah, how do you kind of keep on top of everything in that manner well I mean I, I spend most days dipping in and dipping out of new things that I've been yeah. sent in one way or another be it through a, a record company or a promotions company or via email or things that have been dropped off yeah um, and I try and listen to as as much of it as possible um, it is impossible to listen to it all unfortunately I was say, there must be some awful stuff as and well you must have yeah, to get through I mean, some it, terrible yeah. music I mean I go through days where and I've got to clear some space so I can actually walk around yeah. um, the the office in my house, you know, to try and get in and out. Yeah. And so I have a blitz where I'm kind of putting CDs on for, you know, 30 seconds and then taking yeah. them off. And, and they go into two, you no, know, yeah, into the bin or into a pile of potential play. Yeah. 
Um, and as as you go go through that, you get harsher and harsher about what what, <laughs> yeah. what is of any merit at all. Yeah. And often to preserve my own interest in something, even though I can tell I like this, I like this a lot. Um, I might not listen to it all the way through at that point because I'll kind of wait to savor that because I'll know I'm going to enjoy it yeah, when I when yeah, I do. Yeah. So when you're not uh, doing such a cutthroat. Yeah, a, a blitz through when you can have a, a different day where you're going right. Let's take this in and yeah, because really you want to walk away with two bin bags of stuff you've rejected. Yeah, so that yeah, yeah. Then you can suddenly breathe. Yeah, no. Yeah. Um, uh, so I yeah, I do take that approach a bit. I mean, now it's interesting. I mean, I th- I think I'm sure there will come a point where there's a musical genre that is created that I think actually I don't I don't get that. I'm not that into it, and hopefully. Um, no, I might be able to see some worth it in it, but I just feel I've always had to eat my words or eat my thoughts about so many things, you know, yeah. um, because you, there's always going to be something of value in it. Yeah. And even um, you, sometimes I've got into th- stuff through watching the reaction that other people have had to it in yeah. a way, especially as a DJ um, and you, you know, people request something and Can so you, you kind of think, oh, okay, I will play it. Yeah. And then you see the reaction. I mean, like, oh. I'm, I'm glad you've mentioned that because I, I found with, it, I didn't really get, dubstep properly until I started doing my own club night and then either one of the other DJs played something or I played something and it was like wow this mm. in this context I get it now this makes this makes so much sense to me and it yeah and, and getting to play things out kind of helps you appreciate a lot of different genres because the fact is if you're listening to it f- for the first time on your laptop speakers it's probably not the best context for for a to, uh, to judge a genre on yeah. or or anything like that. Yeah, yeah no, it's true. It's true. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I, I, mean, the, I love the, it. Do, um, the, <laughs> you want this first time thing? People get fixated on this first time. I'm, thing. I'm not gonna. I'm not but, gonna fixate no, on it too I'll, much. Because I, I can think more, of it. A couple of first. But, plays. I mean, you mentioned a few. I mean, it's, I, I'm. Uh, pleased and uh, chuffed that um, those people you mentioned earlier on suggested that you contact me yeah. and, and try and see if I wanted to hear yeah. your music. So Kate Nash, Adele, Jack Peniarty, um I'm pretty sure I played all of them first on the radio. Yep. Um, and they definitely all came in and played live to air as yeah. a first ever session yeah, thing, yeah, which yeah. is really exciting. Um, Jamie T is similar, you know, from that similar kind yeah, of scene. Yeah, from the whole crowd. Um, and then, uh, you know, another one that... W- I remember getting the CD and, and playing it that night in a similar fashion as I did with Dana Sack versus Scroobius Pip, and that was with Razorlight, right. um, a, a band who uh, definitely over time um, set the cat amongst the pigeons and became quite a, a, a band that um, people either loved or loved. I'd say they were a definitive XFM band yeah. as well yeah. for a long period. That was one of the... The sounds that you would associate well, with this station because they were w- one of that first round of indie bands that got so big in in the pop world that yeah. it was right like right now now xfm has set up as this alternative hidden away oh we need a rock station for our our tiny little area of music suddenly became right this is now a leading f- force in what is becoming the popular yeah yeah definitely i mean in that kind of post libertines world they stepped in and and got some proper hits you yeah know, which was yeah, pretty yeah. big i mean that was an interesting one in that there was a package i opened the package there was a terrible photograph of a group of blokes in front of a garage yeah. um put yeah. that in the bin um listened to the <laughs> cd um which didn't even have the band's name spelt out it just had the letters rzlt oh, um and but the the songs were fantastic. Three songs, all sounded brilliant. Yeah. Um, and 
the letter was from a guy called Roger Morton who was managing them. Yep. Now, I knew the name because he used to write for Melody Maker and I didn't right. know him, but I knew the name. So yeah, I, it, it made me think, there. oh, well, you know, he's, he's involved in this. That's interesting. But I thought the song sounded fantastic. And again, I played it that night and it got an instant reaction. Yeah. It's really interesting how, you know, often the stuff that really is a cut above gets Just an amazing gets reaction instant, and other stuff that you might think yeah no i really love this <laughs> yeah. nobody gives a damn about it and no one reacts um, to how much of that do you have that you that, that you'll persist with things that you just believe there's 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 the merit there despite they're not necessarily always being that instant twitter reaction or texting or phoning or whatever yeah else. there's quite a lot <laughs> it seems to me there's quite a lot of that. um i mean you know I, I really get into things and and play them and um kind of think yeah everybody's into this everybody loves this this is an exposure tune this is yeah, really great yeah. and i don't know whether that's always the case I mean, um, when i put them on and do a gig then uh, nobody turns up then i get a sense that she maybe 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 yeah. don't like this as much as i do I but mean, they're wrong obviously l- yeah. let's talk a little bit about gigs then because one of my um again a defining memory i have of, of you i don't know if i've ever told you about was when we met up for some lunch um and in Texas, in South by Southwest. Right. Yeah. Interestingly, it was the first time I had a guacamole. So, you know, it, a, a little fact for you there on, <laughs> on, on my life. But um, I remember it's South by Southwest, the sun's beaming down, there's swimming pools on offer, there's everything. Everyone's just taking in this amazing festival. I think it was my first or second time there. And I met up with you and you were keeping an eye on your watch and you had your notebook because there were so many bands that you were going. And I, I didn't see any, I've never seen anyone else say that was that organised of, and half the bands you'd kind of noted that you could only see half of their set because you needed to get somewhere else to see the half of someone else's set. So again, that just beautiful dedication to the love of new, of new music was, again, If for me, it was a defining thing of that's John Kennedy. That's that's the perfect <laughs> summation of, of John. You, you could have been there just getting hammered and strolling around and like everyone else at festivals, missing half the bands you wanted to see. Yeah. But instead you were like, no, I'm, I can get hammered anywhere. I'm here to see the bands I want to see. I've travelled a long way to see yeah. the bands I want to see, which is what people should be thinking because that's, that's look. That's the logical outlook on it. Totally. I mean, and that's that's uh, there's so much going on at, yeah. at that event that you really have to think about it and and take a methodical approach to, yeah. <laughs> to it. Yeah, it sounds sure. really kind of dull and boring doing it that way. But if you don't have any a, a timetable of some sort, then yeah. you're really going to miss things out. I mean, obviously, there's that strolling along the road and hearing sounds coming out of a bar and walking yeah. in and seeing the best band you'll ever see in your life. I mean, yeah. that, that that's an important element too that you've yeah. got to cling on to. But I mean, the problem with that event um, is also that it's a very industry event and so there's a lot of talking goes on at some of the gigs a lot of a mm-hmm. lot of the shows are um oversubscribed particular shows if you're the hot band of the moment and often those will be the shows that are disappointing because you yeah. queued to get in for an hour you get in it's crammed and the band's all right but you know you, you feel like you've wasted valuable time when you could have seen another five bands in, yeah. in that time yeah um, so yeah, so I de- I definitely you definitely would go take that um, approach. Um, but but then I I know some people are more committed to actually that you know, they make a point of going to South by Southwest every single year. You know? Yeah, yeah. But it is a bit overwhelming in a way that, that yeah that, I'd know. agree. I mean I I remember that year t- two other strong memories. One's kind of irrelevant. It was seeing the Proclaimers at South by Southwest and learning that 
they're a proper band that write amazing songs, mm. not just that comedy band that we all listen to to 500 Miles. And I, I now have arguments online about this all the time, just saying, look, you don't realise that the Proclaimers are, have written some of the best songs, in my opinion, in in in, in music. Um, but yes, yeah, that's, a good, was that's that. a good point. And they're still releasing records. Yeah, yeah and, and really strong yeah. stuff still. But, but because of one song, which again, still... It's a really well-written song. Yeah. It's, a, it's a really good song. It may be comedy because of their their voices are unusual or something like that. But yeah, um, but the other memory was, at, I believe it was an event that you'd put on um, and booked. I was watching a, a Laura Marlin uh, a barbecue. Essentially, it was like it was an outside thing. And number one, I'd, I'd heard of her in the kind of Kate Nash type hype, but I didn't what she was wasn't anything like what I expected the, the performance was just one of the most beautiful things and I remember standing an, an next to you with no doubt some chicken and a beer <laughs> and you saying and I was saying her drummer guy is blowing me away because he was playing drums playing all sorts of other instruments all at once and, and, and you saying to me yeah, his band's quite good too. They're called Mumford and Sons. They're quite, they're they're decent, and they obviously then went on to be yeah. one of the biggest bands in the world. I love them or hate them. So yeah, yeah, that was a, a strong me- memory well, for me of seeing Laura Marlin yeah, I, I in remember, that context. I think that was at a Mojo magazine party. Yeah, maybe. And it was in, yeah, that it was in right, a kind of slightly out of town place. Yeah, it, it was, was a, really it was, it was far out and a bit of a trek to get to. Yeah. but it was just like a shack essentially. Yeah. And, but yeah. Marcus was on drums that day, and and what uh, around that time. Um, Laura had come on the show a few times and performed on her own. Yeah. And um, one time she came on and she was about to go on what was called the uh, something reunion tour, the, the the pub that they all used to go to um, when they were um, when she was underage and the others were right. just about overage. Um, and they all kind of started making music there. Uh, Bosun's Locker, right? Yeah, yeah. Was yeah. what the pub was called, and they went on the Bosun's Locker reunion tour, um, and. Uh, Marcus was still playing with her, but it had his other band going on, Mumford and Sons. And so I said, look, well, why don't you do a Bosun's Locker reunion reunion um, at Christmas and each sing a Christmas song and sing one of your own songs. So so the gang came in um, and it was Noah and the Whale, Mumford and Sons, Laura Marling and and somebody else. And they all performed live to air. And that was the first time I'd heard Marcus sing. And he was absolutely incredible. And I think that was the first time they'd ever had anything performed on the radio. Yeah. Um, it was, they hadn't recorded anything at that point. Amazing. Um, and so that's, that's our that's little a real, claim That's to, a real first play. That's the first play before they've had their first recording. Yeah. It's <laughs> kind of, yeah, that's intense. Yeah, it was great. I mean, that, and that's kind of why... Um, you know, I kind of see them as a, an XFM band. I mean, we've definitely yeah. played them loads and loads and loads. But yeah. but it's interesting just having the opportunity for, for for that, and because there's no producer filter either. Yeah. And um, you know, I, I I do enjoy getting people to come in and and hang out and yeah. And you know, it's it's such a an opportunity to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, let's talk about that then, because it also allows you the opportunity to to. For, for some huge bands to come in and, and hang out and again to anchor this back to um the speak of, of of angles we were we were really close to the final time of when we had to put everything into production and we hadn't had confirmation back from a radiohead's management on if we could have let from god to man on the album and the our label was keen for us to do an alternative version that didn't have the sample in and we'd kind of talked about it loads and turned around and said look I'd rather it not be on the record because that was an in, you know it was integral part to it so it was like if, if we can't clear it 
I'd rather it's just a live song mm. f- forever. Um, and you had them in for an interview, I believe, and you mentioned, I don't know if you played it to yeah. them or, yeah, you, and you, you played it to them and that was, it was two days l- later that we got the result or, or the, 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 the vote in from the band apparently that it had been cleared and it was literally a week after that that the whole album went into production and wow. was was all there. So we've been, been waiting all that time I'm in an urn, and again, that's not a complaint on them at all. They're a hugely p- 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 busy band, but y- yeah, you having them in and and playing it to them from what I from what I've heard. Yeah, that's I remember amazing. you texting us to say yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, Ed O'Brien and Tom York came in for an album playback. Um, I can't remember which album it was, um, but I remember we did the interview, and after the interview, I was telling them about you and and. Um, trying to you know get them to think that this was a good idea yeah, and I, I played the them a go. bit of it and I think I'm probably misidentified because you use two Radiohead tracks in that track don't you? Or, no, 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 just one. Only, only I think I misidentified the song anyway right? and revealed my poor Radiohead knowledge in, in their eyes and felt really embarrassed because <laughs> yeah. it's like oh god no I, I, <laughs> I I've it. identified the wrong song yeah, yeah, yeah. and they're going to think oh he doesn't even know that song yeah. what's he talking about? Um but they obviously paid attention, yeah. and I mean, they, they, you know, they didn't. I think the problem for them was that because they are such a big band and such an innovative band, um, a lot of people use their work and yeah. are inspired by their work and take their work and try and do things with it. Yeah. And it's for them, it's trying to work out who should be allowed. Oh, because to, at that to point, that. they'd turned down a lot of people. Mm. I, I, you know, we were nervous because it was like, particularly when we didn't hear back immediately. It was a known thing. It's it's not to the level of of the of the Rolling Stones, but it was hard to use their their stuff. And we, because we wrote without thinking about re- releasing things. And again, a thou shout, as I said, I recorded the vocal in my, in my bedroom at my mum's house without any awareness that anyone in the world would ever hear it. So that's how we wrote, and it didn't get to that point. It was like, right, we've r- 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 written this with this essential part of it probably unclearable and yeah yeah it got there in the end yeah it's fantastic I mean, it's really nice to have played a little part in yeah that. no that's... so have you got any highlights of, of 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 huge names that you've had in to talk to that have just been you know great to engage with or or or, or well, interact with yeah i mean well tons really yeah. uh, i mean it, I'm, I'm very lucky to to get to to do the the two things that are to talk to really you know, amazing, successful and inspirational artists and to talk to people at the very start of when they're just getting going. It's it's a really lucky position to be in. But I mean, mention of Radiohead, I remember Tom York, when he first released his first solo album, came in and did an interview, but also did a little piano session for us. Yeah. And, and being there in the room watching him do that was really amazing. fantastic. Yeah, you know, that was really, really good. Um, the Raconteurs, when they first emerged, the first kind of public airing they had was on XFM mm. bizarrely and they were over in the UK and um, luckily for us and I don't think it would have happened otherwise but somebody who used to work for XFM went to work as part of the Beggars Group and was right. working specifically on the Raconteurs project and um, pushed for this idea that they come in and do a live to air session yeah. and so that's exactly what happened and, and it was live to air on my show which was at night, and this didn't always happen that I'd have a live-to-air session from our proper session studio, which was at that time next door to the on-air studio. Um, and it was a really busy evening. So they came in, and um, Ruth, 
who'd used to work at XFM, was working for beggars, had sorted out food and drink for them and looked after them really well yeah. and, and made us look Perfect. good, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so they were nice and relaxed. But we were going to do uh, an album playback interview before the session, so we went down and recorded that, all four of us. Um, and it's when I really got a sense of what Jack was, Jack White was like as a person. You could see just the, the fact that when he walked into a room, just it, the, his... <laughs> very body language acted as a catalyst to other people yeah. and you could see the influence he had on on the rest of the band and how he just his very presence kind of got them a bit yeah. excited and involved and you know he would try and involve them in the interview because he realized that he might do too much talking yeah, of course. Um, and you know really got the best out of them and it, it was just a they worked really hard that night and they came i ran from that to starting the show kind of about five seconds later um and then they came in live on the show for a quick chat and then went into the next door room to do the session and yeah. and it you know went out across the world i guess via the internet and we got a great response from across the world that night yeah. which is really exciting because they hadn't really done anything like this at that yeah, point yeah, yeah. and that was really really exciting and and you know they they were brilliant that night that yeah. was really really good and it was such a a pleasure to be a, a part of that and a, an illustration in a way of of what a down to earth or friendly charming person Jack White can be I mean he was in the room John Hillcock who you know yes. from Amazing Radio and from XFM and from Six Music um, was there and at the time he was helping out on my show he'd be making cups of tea and stuff like that yeah. and um, the three of us were in the room and, and Jack was a big hero to John understandably yeah. but Jack kind of turned to us and said hey it's like the three Johns in here. You know? <laughs> and it was just so sweet to have a, such a simple it. comment. Yeah. Um, but, it, you know, it's so kind of a, a great way of ingratiating yourself with people, I yeah. suppose. That's beautiful. Um, no, so that was good. I mean, you know, there's been so many different people. I mean, having Dizzy Rascal on the show uh, yeah. quite a few times was really exciting. The first time he came in was really interesting um, because he, he uh, was kind of shy, but he performed a couple of songs live to air and... And I don't know whether I should say this. Sorry, Dizzy, if I put you in it. But he, he performed with his hands down his pants. Yeah. So he had like tracky bottoms on. Yeah. And he had his hands down his pants all the time he was yeah, performing. Yeah. And that just watching that was kind of strange. An amazing visual. But fantastic. You know, it, it was really exciting. And getting people like him and say, Morefire crew in for an yeah. interview. And and that they had that... Um, was it Oi? Oi. Was it, yeah, um, that was, was the that big song. Crew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, huge they, song, and that was like, and that was another one similar to how Dizzy had blown up. Oi was was one of them that was. I always f feel like it was it was the UK's anti up or mm. or or, um, or South Bronx or, or or one of these that were songs that you'd read about in hip hop that had come up in America that you play in a club and it goes m mental and Oi was. Yeah. was one of them. Yeah, that, I mean, that was a big, big tune. And again, I mean, really, Dizzy and Morefire Crew, um, I played on the show really early on. And, you know, apart from Pirate Stations um, and Choice FM at the time, um, there weren't that many outlets for, for that. And, and I'd kind of contend that it's possible that their first non- kind of uh, genre-specific play yeah. was was on XFM because yeah. yeah, I don't yeah. think Radio 1 had picked up at that point, no, no. That, that scene. And I remember when Morphine Crew came in for the interview, they were kind of like in this building kind of looking around thinking, how the hell and what are we doing here? Yeah. You know, because they were so young then, they were about yeah. 16. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, but... but it's but, amazing and, and, and hugely important, again, that, as you said there, and a non-genre-specific show. So for... for for any scene or genre to really blow up and break out, it can't remain in its own on on that pirate radio mm. station because there's always a, 
a, a limitation of growth there. So the beauty of shows like yours, which will be playing Dizzy to some punk and metal kids, but also be playing the White Stripes to some some grime kids who are tuning in and things like that are, are so essential for that kind of cross-pollination of, of genres and scenes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I at that time, I used to... Um, often drive in to do my show listening to Choice FM and to Jenny Francis who was on the air yeah. then and she would be playing a lot of UK hip hop yeah. um, that I was playing on my show and yeah. and it was, it was nice to hear it there yeah, yeah, yeah. and it, often on the way back I would listen to a bloke called Commander B and this was when Choice FM was still based in Borough in South London yeah. and Commander B would get grime crews in to perform live to air all the time. Yeah. And that's where I first heard more Fire Crew and Dizzy Rascal and Miss Dynamite doing stuff yeah. live to air on his show. And I, you know, I found it really exciting. And, and you know, my challenge was, how do I get hold of this music you know, so that I can play it on my show? Because I'd hear these tunes and think, how, how, I'm not part of that world. How can I get yeah. hold of those tracks? And yeah. luckily, a couple of conversations led to people getting me the tracks, you know, particularly, yeah. um, I should mention him, is, is Stephen Bass, who runs Moshi Moshi Records. Yeah. yeah. And at the time he was doing A&R work for other labels. Moshi was kind of really just starting out. And um, he often gave me a few things that he was chasing that the label weren't necessarily going for, but he was yeah. happy to share. And, yeah. uh, and, you know, that's how I ended up playing things like that. Amazing. I mean, it stuns me to hear you say that you weren't a part of that scene, John. I, I, you know, <laughs> I would have thought you were getting all the, E3 all Bo. the, all the mixtapes. <laughs> E3 Bow. Yeah, exactly. No, I wasn't spending enough time in E3 Bow. No. But, um, yeah, I mean, you, would look, you want big names, though, but I can't think of it other big names. No, that's so, fine, so many, that's fine. That's plenty. That's, I'm, yeah. I'm not... I'm, I'm, I'm not pushing for that for some reason I was watching I was watching a video earlier of, of, of Bjork and for some reason I had in my head that you'd given Bjork she, her first play no or, I mean she's too or, uh, no uh, disrespect to be her but um, she's too old for that right, yeah, but yeah, she has so. been on the show quite a few times yeah. um, and how was she because again I was, I was watching this a video that's been doing the rounds a while now of her f- a good few years ago talking about a TV and taking a TV apart. And it's one of the most amazing and beautiful mm. things because she's such an amazing, just y- unique character. So, so how was she? She, she was on the, absolutely as a fantastic. I mean, I, I was lucky. Um, she was about to release her um, Medulla album, the vocal album. Yeah. And, um, and what an album. That's my that, favourite. Yeah, it's my uh, favourite. Yeah. album, yeah. personally. Yeah. yeah, it's an absolutely incredible record. If you um, don't own that or have, have listened to that, I recommend getting that immediately. Because just, the, yeah, just the beauty of it, just it's all vocals, all all, all vocals reworked and layered and Razel doing some beatboxing yeah. on there and all sorts of vocal choirs, tons of her vocals. It's truly amazing. Yeah, it really is. And I was lucky enough to... Um, be asked to do an interview with her and we were going to do it as an album playback um, but I had to go to Iceland to do the interview so oh, I mean wow. you know a hardship but um, yeah, <laughs> I'd if, already been I to mean, Iceland if um, anyone wants me to interview give her a first podcast interview I'll go to Iceland to, to interview Bjork happily so I'll carry the microphone um, yeah yeah so let's <laughs> uh, let's put that out there in the in in the digital world so just hit me up um but yeah how was that so, then I mean I'd already been to Iceland to go to the Iceland Airways Festival um and so I kind of had an idea of what it was like and so I'd met a few people out there anyway but mm. so this um opportunity came up and it's like yeah I'd love to do that that would be fantastic so I took a load of equipment to Reykjavik and um, the interview was set up and she was doing a a few other press things but for whatever reason she wasn't doing that much promo at that time but the the interview was set up and took place in a restaurant um, in Reykjavik 
And she was there in quite uh, unusual clothes, as she often wears unusual mm -hmm. clothes. But we set up at, on this table and um, and I placed the microphones. And, and because of the album playback interviews are often a gift for talking to artists because they're after a while a penny drops and they suddenly think wow I'm talking about the whole of my record track by track to somebody and they've actually listened to it a and few times and they care about it and they've made notes and, and kind of have something to say about each individual track and, and it makes it brings people out I remember yeah. I, I remember us discussing in the past before I had young fathers on the show us discussing how they and this isn't any offence at all but how they might be a tough interview because mm. they're quite um, re reserved the first track that I played there was sh shock on their face when I announced what I was going to play because it, it wasn't a single. It was one of the album tracks I liked. By chance, it was the album track that they wanted as a single and I didn't didn't know that. The rest of the interview was easy because yeah. they'd then been like, oh, right, this is this is someone who actually cares about this and, I'm getting, and we're getting to talk, not just do the pr promo lines that we've... We generally have to be willed out to do. Yeah. So yeah, that makes a huge difference. So yeah, yeah. I mean, and I think that's what happened with Björk. I mean, I think she, it was an album she really cared about a lot, and had put a lot of time and effort in into. And and I think from some quarters it was seen as a bit of a risk, the idea that it would just be vocals only. Yeah. And so it we seemed to get on really well and and i learned that that restaurant um was her, at that time her favorite restaurant in Reykjavik and one of the reasons why it was her favorite was that it was where all her and her icelandic mates used to meet up and get completely drunk and go crazy and dance on the table that we were sat at yeah and and do stuff like that and amazing th and uh that was fantastic and it meant that um there are a few more uh in the next kind of year or two years after that, uh, other couple of releases came through with Björk, and because of that, I that that interview and it went well. I was able to do some more interviews, and she actually remembered. Yeah. And so that that that's kind of I think that, that Again, it's section has phased a... out. But it was a little relationship that existed for a, a short while, and she was she was amazing. She's so interesting to talk to, and yeah. it was great to interview her in that context in this restaurant that she liked so much, and in Reykjavik. Yeah. Um, and. But Again, it's perfect because from what I hear of of of, of Reykjavik and of Björk, again, I, I now need to highlight, I said Björk at the beginning, and one of the most beautiful things of her recent album a release it was the hand handwritten press release that came out where she spelt her name B-J-E-R-K as a kind of, it was seen as a subtle kind of, please say my name right, you're, right. you're, you're all saying it wrong, so I kind of, I love that. But I, I always remember the... A, a triumph of the heart video off 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 that album where so much of that was just her and a load of people in a local pub or restaurant and they're just doing kind of all the the sounds and beatboxing and weird noises live and again it just yeah it, it really gave that vibe of, of what it sounds like you're describing of, yeah of them just having a good night and dancing on the tables yeah yeah which you know seems she seems to like doing no, that's which, perfect yeah. well, why not? Um, well, we should start to wrap up as we're, as, as, <laughs> yeah. as we're getting into it. And, and you've got your own show to do as well. Um, I want to kind of end by discussing the importance and responsibility of a radio, uh, or uh, of, of a DJ to, to find a new music. I think with, with the evolution of streaming and the threat that that is to, not only to, to record sales, but obviously to, to radio as well, I think... A few things you've said here have really highlighted the importance of what sh shows are, are like yours do. The fact of 
people like Mumford and Sons playing a session before they've even recorded anything. You know, they may not you may not get to that point of recording something that can then be streamed on or or that gets to a level to then be streamed and so on and so forth. So yeah, yeah, what's your thoughts on that, on the on on the importance and the and the responsibility, I guess, of those who are still flying the flag um in, in radio? Um I just hope it survives. No, yeah. I I just hope that um radio continues to embrace that freedom and, yeah. and embrace that opportunity and create those opportunities for people. Um yeah. because Everybody learns so much from it. The the artists, um, the radio stations, and you start relationships that can only help both of you. I think yeah, you know, and I course. think that definitely we XFM has a great relationship with a lot of artists because of those early things that mm-hmm. happened. And um, as you were saying earlier, artists don't forget that those, those yeah. are important watershed moments for them, yeah. and so they're loyal to people. If if they offer that opportunity and and it's important to the listener as well because I mean, for me radio can create real magical moments for for people listening and you know i've had that so many times and to be able to be involved in that is amazing mm. you know and to in a way i kind of feel that in some ways my show is a bit like i'm at home but i happen to be in the studio at the yeah, same time yeah. with the people who are doing it you know and i'd be listening at home and instead, I'm just having to be in the room with them, and it's a bit like like that. Yeah, you know, I don't yeah, yeah, feel yeah. that much of a distance from the person who was, you know, listening to the radio back then. Um, and I still feel the same way about it. You know, a kind of slightly naive, open, wide-eyed thing to to what's going yeah. on. You no, know? and um, and I love that live feeling. You no, know? yeah. I mean, it, sometimes it can be disappointing when things go wrong slightly, um, but. You've got to roll with it, and it, it'll be fine. I yeah. mean, you've got a very calm demeanour on 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 the or in life and on the radio. So I think it's it, it means that if anything does go wrong, there's always a it, it never there, seems there like a massive. I'm sure panic. I can lose it. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> no, but um, yeah, no, that's. I mean, I I don't know how to guarantee or or make sure that this continues to yeah. be the case. I mean, yeah. and people's listening habits change. Um, the way people approach music will change inevitably no just i mean i think it's interesting i was reading an article somewhere the other day and it's talking about musical copyright and how yeah. really that's an idea that only started in in the 20th century mm-hmm. you know and before that there was no idea of that and yeah. and we sometimes get so locked into certain ideas that they become concrete and then you know sometimes we need to realize that that isn't it's necessarily hard to have the case. The it doesn't have to be like that, them. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, but it'll be a shame to lose the the magic of radio. And yeah, that I like the happen chance involved in happening to turn on the radio at a particular moment and hearing a particular song or or hearing a person speak to you at a particular moment that can have such an effect on you. Yeah. It really is amazing, and I'm constantly amazed by how many people. Um, turn on the radio have no idea that they're going to be playing I'm going to be playing their song but they just happen to have turned on at that particular moment yeah. and then a couple of minutes later I play their song that they've sent in they've had no other contact with me and and it's happened quite a few times That's and it's amazing. kind of amazing yeah you know, I remember Emmy the Great telling me about this time when I think it was her boyfriend at the time's band and they went they decided right let's go and get a pizza or whatever it was and they got in the car to go down the road to to pick up this thing and they just happened to turn on the radio and started the journey. And then a minute later, on came his song. Yeah. And there was no way that they knew, 
they or I knew that they were going to be doing that and, and I could time it in that way. And it's yeah, really strange how that has happened quite a few times. Yeah, that's just such an insane thought and experience of getting to to just happen to chance to hear your stuff mm. on the radio unexpected and then get pizza as well. That's just, it's the perfect, <laughs> it's the perfect combination, surely. That's, that's a hell of a night there. Um, well, uh, where can people keep up to date with everything you're doing? Because my, m- the main thing I've taken from this is, um, I agree, I really hope that there's still a place and a future for radio and the beauty of it and the fact that you can just get, get in your car on the way to get a pizza and hear something you've never heard before or one of your own songs, Mm. indeed. But my main thing is that as long as John Kennedy is broadcasting somewhere in the world, the music industry is going to be okay in (laughs) in my mind. So I'm I'm holding out for that. So where can people just keep up to date with you in general? I I guess... um... On XFM, Monday to Thursday, uh, 10pm through to 1am. I'm on Twitter, at John Kennedy underscore XFM. How how much drama do you get over the other John Kennedy? Because there's another John Kennedy, isn't it? um, Is there a lot of confusion? There has been. I've never heard his or listened to his stuff. Yeah, he's pretty good. I I got into a session (laughs) one time and he played played Exposure Live one time too. Oh, amazing. I just just realised I'm glad you clarified that because I've ignored the... The pre- one of the most yeah, famous presidents of all time of John Kennedy. I'm thinking, how about the other, yeah, <laughs> the, yeah. the musician? It's like, like John because... F. never existed. Yeah, yeah, who? The most famous namesake. I mean, I, <laughs> no, I've got an uncle, John Kennedy, and a grandfather, and, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Um, but J.O.N. Kennedy, originally from Salford, based in Bristol, uh, musician and DJ, yeah. um, released records through various different labels, now releases him, his own stuff. But at one point, he came in into the session. He um, also played one of my exposure live gigs at the Barfly. Yeah. I thought it would be novel to have John Kennedy introducing John Kennedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't think it was that funny. No, I can't imagine <laughs> but, this one that's just um, getting one. Just mention, um, this is just going to keep going on and on, but I know we need to end at some point soon because you've got to start your own show. But you just just mentioned a Bristol. When the Bristol scene was, was blowing up, was that in the time when you were doing your... with, with Bristol with, scene? Uh, with... Um, Massive Attack. M- and, Massive Attack and, 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 tr- and Tricky coming out of that kind of area. Yeah, that. I was mean, that, that would have been... Something that you would have been... prior to XFM getting a full-time licence, so right. I guess it would have been blowing up... Um, in the time when XFM was trying to get a license, so mm. we'd, we'd have played all those people. It's um, just, a, again, it's something that instantly just thinking if that was happening when you were doing your show, that would, again, that would be the kind of place that people are hearing about that. That's, that's I'd the, like to think so. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, that would yeah, be yeah. A, amazing. No, to, yeah, yeah it would be amazing to have been the first to play Massive Attack yeah. or Tricky. That would <laughs> yeah, be yeah. incredible. Um, yeah, but yeah, but, but yeah, to xfm.co.uk, you can find out. I mean, I, met, I, I should, should be... Uh, yeah, I should have a, like my own blog or Facebook stuff. That you I, definitely I should because you've, you've, lazy, you've, you've done. Yeah. Obviously, you've uh, written for days. You've mm. you, you you didn't give up on that failed attempt to become a journalist. You've, <laughs> you do now. You know, write some yeah. amazing stuff and again get things out there. So yeah, I'm I'm all for writing. It, it's surprising. It's a different thing, isn't it? Writing is um, yeah. Yeah, different kind of thing. It really discipline. is. Well, um, I'm, I'm also yeah. going to have to get you down at my club night as, as, again yes, at some please. point. Yeah, so we've be been discussing that, so we'll get that. I'll I guess gigs, I mean, I put on these exposure live gigs at the bar, yes. five, sometimes in Manchester as well. Um, I do a night in uh, Tooting, Tooting Tram and Social. Yeah, and the Tram and Social. Once a month. I think I've played every, everywhere you've ever you, done well, anything, yeah, really. Very gracious. <laughs> and um, I, I'm very grateful that you have. Yeah, no, always excited to do so. So yeah, there's there's regular gigs 
there's 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 obviously the radio show every week and many many ways to keep up yeah. with all and of long, your wonderful I mean, endeavours. Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm glad that you like the idea that I'd continue on the airwaves, and I, yeah. I, I hope that happens. You know, yeah, completely. You never know. I mean, I I think that in some ways, in radio, you live in a world of paranoia, but yeah. um, you know, you could always look over your shoulder, yeah, thinking, of oh, no, this could be my last show. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah But yeah. then, if we bring it back to the beginning, and Sammy Jacob used to uh, school me in the beginning and say, no, every show, John, should be your last show. That's how you should treat <laughs> it, mate. No, it was quite funny because I thought, really? Beautiful. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's a perfect a quote to end on. So <laughs> thank you very much for taking the time to chat and, and for everything in general. My pleasure. Cheers. A real pleasure. There we go. What did I tell you? Episode 50, John Kennedy. Damn, that's the least I've spoken in a podcast. I don't know if you noticed. And that wasn't because I didn't have a lot to say. That was because I was just in awe of the dude's stories. There was so many just things that he was just saying. I was just like... I just want you to keep going. This is amazing. It was great to hear because I listened to John Kennedy, have done for years, and he's so often interviewing other people or just talking about songs, you know, so he doesn't get the the chance to talk about himself that much. It's the same, it's similar to the Zane Lowe one and the Edith Temple Morris episodes that we've done both of which I recommend you check out. Um, it's fascinating to f- flip the tables. And this was really odd, because as you may have heard or realised, we recorded it in John's studio with him in the seat. He has sat in and interviewed hundreds and hundreds of bands, small and huge, over the years. So, yeah, it was amazing to get to sit there and have that chat and just catch up with John, as said. I mean, I'm gushing a bit, but... I've got nothing but love and admiration for that guy. And as you will hear from, as you've heard from many of the stories there, from him giving us our first play, to him helping get the Radiohead sample cleared, to him choosing the name of our debut album, for God's sake. Um, He's been hugely important in our lives. And in this industry, it's far too easy to to not get a chance to catch up with people. Everyone's working really hard. Everyone's always... Are really busy and when you're not part of the kind of area of the industry that parties all the time which I'm not John's not it's not really our thing it's kind of easy to not get or to not make the time to catch up so this was yeah a great honor to get to sit down and catch up with Mr John Kennedy so that's all for this week um please subscribe and all that good stuff subscribe and rate and review and share the word I mean tell a friend we talked on this episode about I mean, the potential downfall of radio, and that's a scary and sad thing, but equally, it's kind of exciting because what we have the ability... I mean, I've lucked out on getting on this podcast train kind of early, but what I and all you listeners and other podcasters have the chance to do here is build and create a media that is owned by us, for us. You know, no one tells me what I can or can't do on the podcast no one gets involved in any of that this is all just down to me there's no big money man behind us we've got sponsors you know we've got things like that but they don't have any input on the on 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 the content of the show they pay to have their brand mentioned you know and that's and they pay to keep you guys 
keep it free for you guys. So I've got, don't, don't read that wrong. I've got nothing but love for the sponsors, but we choose sponsors that are down with what we're trying to do here. Um, and that goes from, you know, it, it varies each week, but we've had on it Squarespace. We've had numerous other people who we've got just huge love and respect for. Kindred the other week went down a treat with you guys. So yeah, um, so share, spread the word. And yeah, I, I've forgotten where I was going with that, but just the basic idea of at the moment, we're getting 100,000 downloads a week. Have a think about that for a second. That's that's Wembley. That's Wembley Arena every week full to hear conversations on 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 politics, on society, on on music, on on creativity, on depression, on on male suicide, on 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 stuff that's often taboo and hidden and dodged away from. That's what we're getting every week, and that can just continue to grow because, you know, in theory, if all hundred thousand of you tell one more person, then next week we get two hundred thousand, and if they all then you know, everyone tells one more, then we've got 400,000. And by the end of the year, we're having to breed new people to listen to the podcast because there's just not anyone to tell anymore. And I mean, let's, let's try not to go that far because that could get intense. Um, I don't know if I can handle the pressure, but it'd be pretty cool to keep growing this reach. And again, this isn't a selfish thing either. We, as you'll see in the podcast, I talk regularly about other podcasts. I recommend you starting a podcast. Um, there's an architect who's doing some work at my, at my place at the moment. Um, and he's, he's got his own podcast. Um, God damn, I've just forgotten uh, the name of it. I'm finding it. I'm finding it. Bear with me. But yeah, I mean, that is just a podcast. It's called Create More, in fact. So check that out. And it's just a podcast about design, architecture, creativity, just genuinely interesting shit. Um, And the more and more people that do that, the more we take the power away from the big tabloids or the news channels or all these other things that have in the past become the only vessel for getting information out there. Um again you a lot of you are probably shaking your heads again oh god damn pip's going on some crazy rant he thinks we're going to change the world with podcasts um he also thinks that we can't see through the fact that the more listeners he gets the more the sponsors pay him so there's also a cynical side to this i know you know that we all know all of this this is this, there's no games being played here i'm just saying this is a dope medium that currently isn't controlled, isn't restricted, hasn't got boundaries on it. It allows us to do what we want, you know, and discuss the subjects that we want to discuss. So I could not recommend more that you listen to more podcasts and you tell your friends about the Distraction Pieces podcast. I should probably stop talking now. As I mentioned earlier in the podcast, tune in on Monday, August the 3rd for my birthday special edition podcast as a gift for you on my birthday. On my birthday. Oh, the mic's a going crackly i've got almost to the end warren he, he edits the, the podcast he gets I'm, I'm mad at my, my my crappy cables um on my birthday i give you a gift that's how it's been since 2000 and oh, was it 2010 when introduction came out 2011 i think i don't know that's how it's been for a while now um and we're going to keep doing it it's a free gift to you special edition of the podcast with me my mum and my dad special family edition um so yeah subscribe rate share do all the things 
generally try and have a good week if that's at all possible if you can do anything to influence the fact that you have a good week do those things if you think oh i'm gonna have a shit week have a little think if there's any way of changing that if you have to have a shit week you have to have a shit week these happen but um do what you can to sort that out i'll be back next week this is the distraction pieces podcast my name is scroobius pip you can find me at scroobius pip on twitter and on instagram you can find me at facebook.com slash scroobius pip as well or you can go to scroobiuspip.co.uk which is a website i built on squarespace or you can go to speech records.com where there's merch or you can go to that secret little page which i can't say out loud right now team 3w oh shit i've got it team 3w.distractionpiecespodcast.com um and and support the podcast in that manner we should have all shirts back in stock out of out of interest we keep selling out i'm sorry about that but trying to keep it topped up anyway this is the podcast outro that never ends and it has now ended